listening to Footprints on Our Hearts, a podcast about baby loss, legacy, and learning to live again with me, Alison Ingleby. The baby loss community is one that no one wants to join, but together we can break the silence around baby loss and help each other navigate the rocky road that is grief, because all children leave footprints on our hearts. Good morning and welcome to episode 26 of Footprints on Our Hearts. I've got a bit of a different episode for you today. Uh, When I started the podcast, as well as the regular interview episodes where I have, when I talk to bereaved parents about their children, I also wanted to do some specific episodes talking about different aspects of baby loss and grief and everything that goes alongside that. And today is one of those. So today I'm chatting with Katie Ingram about how people can best support grieving parents who have experienced the loss of a baby at whatever gestation of pregnancy or shortly after birth. So this is this is an episode, I guess, for you if you're a regular listener and you know you have yourself experienced this, but it's also one that I hope will help um, listeners who haven't experienced baby loss themselves but really want to support a loved one, whether it's a friend or family member, through their grief. And I think it's such a difficult thing to talk about grief and particularly baby loss, which is why a lot of people struggle with it and a lot of people don't talk about it. And and there's this kind of gulf and silence, which makes that whole experience of losing your child even more isolating. So I guess my my call to action for this episode is please to share it with your friends and family or people you think might find it useful. And I guess particularly if if you feel that you haven't been very well supported by friends and family and you feel that perhaps people don't know what to say to you or haven't said the right thing, then this might be a non-confrontational way of educating them about things it's appropriate to say and things it's really not appropriate to say to someone who has lost a child. And this uh, episode also links in with Katie's new campaign, which is called No Words, which she's launched on Instagram and is hoping to create a public dialogue around baby loss and um, and to encourage people to, to talk about grief and baby loss and to end the isolation that so many experience in the aftermath of of that deeply traumatic experience. And you can help support the campaign by, well, by sharing the episode, by sharing um, Katie's posts on Instagram. And she has created some fantastic t-shirts, which I have to say I'm wearing mine at the moment. And it is super comfy and lightweight and perfect for summer if summer ever arrives in the UK. Um, they are lovely t-shirts, um, really well designed, and five pounds from each um, sale of the t-shirt goes to a baby lost charity or a charity who supports bereaved parents. So it's also for a good cause, and you can help show your support for the campaign and and also get people talking about baby loss. You know, if you're comfortable and you want to talk about your baby, and someone sees you with the no words t-shirt and asks you about it, then you can. You can kind of explain a bit about why you're wearing it and, and what it means to you. 
So I hope you enjoy the conversation today. And yeah, please do share it with family or friends or anyone who you think might benefit from listening. If you want to get um, your own t-shirt and support the campaign, you can visit Katie's website, which is uh, withoutottily.com slash no words and Ottilie spelled O-T-T-I-L-I-E. And that link will be in the show notes. So I hope you all have a gentle weekend and enjoy this week's episode of Footprints on Our Hearts. Today, I'm joined on the podcast by Katie Ingram for a special episode on talking about baby loss. And Katie's recently launched, or I think she'll recently launch when, when this podcast goes out, the No Words campaign to help create a public dialogue around baby loss. So rather than the usual sort of interview style podcast that I do, um, today's going to be a bit different. We're going to have a bit of a general discussion and a chat about the things people say or don't say when your baby dies and the impact that that can have. Um, so thank you so much for joining me, Katie, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. It's uh, it's great to be here. Thank you for, for being so interested in the campaign and giving me a, a place to talk about it. It's great. Well, I think as we'll come on to discuss, it's something that's, uh, I think is very close to the hearts of pretty much everyone who has, who has lost a baby. So I think it's, it's really important, but we may have some new listeners for the show. So I thought it'd be good if we could start by both introducing ourselves and as the guests, you get to go first. Um, so could you introduce yourself, your family and tell us a bit about your experience of baby loss? Absolutely. So uh, my name is Katie, Katie Ingram. I'm married to Ben. We got married in 2012 and pretty much started trying for a baby almost straight away. Um, and that didn't quite go as planned. And as many people will tell you on the uh, on the trying to conceive journey, that can be um, quite a difficult and stressful period of time. Um, but eventually um, I was given a really helpful diagnosis of unexplained infertility, which doesn't really give you many places to go or or many answers. Um, and it was suggested because at that stage I, um, I was about 36, 37 years old. Um, and the suggestion was that IVF would probably be a good solution for us. Um, and because I'm quite competitive and a bit of a perfectionist I struggled with that um, and it took me uh, it took me quite a while to get my head around um, IVF but eventually I did I came around to it and um, we started working um, with a clinic here in London where we live and um, a reasonably simple journey I mean no IVF process is totally simple but a reasonably simple journey and on our second um, round of IVF treatment we fell pregnant and then I had a very simple pregnancy I was uh, 40 when I fell pregnant so I was older and immediately consultant led and I had a bit of a bleed at nine weeks which was scary but explained because there was uh, I think it's quite common in early pregnancy when you've had IVF that there may be some bleeding um, and there was definitely a kind of, they sort of described it as like a bruise outside my womb um, and that had caused um, caused that bleeding. But for the following 30 weeks, things were reasonably plain sailing. Um, and we had 
uh, a little bit of a hospital stay right at the very end where again had a little bit of a bleed and and doctors were interested in exploring that eventually uh, a very nice female doctor after two nights in hospital realized that that bleed was external and not internal and um, so it kind of begs the question what the other doctors had been looking at but um she uh uh, said I could go home and suggested that I came in for some scans which I did um, and we began to find that uh, amniotic fluid was dropping um, but there were no massive red flags there was no big drama there was no kind of desperation but I, it was suggested that I be induced um, which I resisted for a couple of days because I felt quite uncomfortable with it I think um, we're kind of sold the uh, the story that induction isn't necessarily a good thing and that it will require it will be a longer labor and a more painful labor and you will need intervention and all of those things and um, so I re resisted it but eventually on um, the Wednesday before or the Wednesday preceding Easter of 2019 um, I agreed to be induced on the Thursday which was 39 weeks exactly um, I'd been on the heart monitor that morning and baby's heartbeat was all fine um, agreed to be induced went back in at six o'clock or called them at six o'clock the next morning to go in to be induced and um, when I arrived at eight um, they did a bedside scan and that's where they discovered that there was no heartbeat um, so we don't know what happened there but um, the rest of the day kind of is a bit of a I can kind of watch it back filmically in my mind. I can see every moment of it, but it's as if I was experiencing it on the outside. Um, and at that point, we didn't know that we were going to have a little girl. But Ottilie was born at just after 7pm that night by cesarean section um, in the theatre. And then we spent the next couple of days in the bereavement suite of the hospital that we were in. And we were able to see her and spend time with her. And our families were able to come as well. Um, which I'll be forever thankful for. That was a, an amazing time. Um, so yeah, that's a very brief rundown of of our experience. Yeah, and bearing in mind that we normally have a whole podcast interview on that, you've done very well to keep that <laughs> to keep that short. And I think, and again, for, for I guess for those who are new to podcasts, so I'm Alison. I live with my husband and our very fluffy cat um, in Yorkshire. And our first child, our daughter Sky, was. Um, stillborn in May last year and you know we had a very very straightforward journey up to that point you know we were very lucky and um, didn't have any issues getting pregnant you know the pregnancy was about as you know good as it goes I think and you know got past the 20 week scan we were told everything was okay and and that was you know if you have a normal pregnancy that's that's pretty much it isn't it you don't you don't really you know you have your normal midwife appointment I had my 25 week midwife appointment had a bit of a listen to baby's heartbeat we also didn't know we were expecting a girl at that time and then um, a few days later I was a bit worried because I hadn't really felt her kick which was a bit difficult for me because she never really she never really got into that pattern of movements and I could feel her moving which is again something they don't tell you that you can still feel a baby moving after they have died which is no. it's kind of a scary thought but I, I think that also it's quite an important thing to know because there's a, there's a difference between feeling the baby move and feeling them kick and that was one reason why I you know I didn't go in earlier perhaps 
Um, yeah, so we, well, went into the hospital thinking everything's probably fine. It'll just be a reassurance check. And, you know, they had a, had a listen for the heartbeat. Midwife couldn't find it. I think even at that point, I was still in denial. She's just like, oh, well, you know, baby's just probably in a funny position. We'll go and, you know, get you a scan just to make sure. Um, and then, you know, we had the doctor come in, they did a scan and, and then you get told those words um, that there's no heartbeat, and yeah, and then your world kind of falls apart. Mm. And I think although we, so she was obviously much earlier than Ottilie. Um, so she was 26 weeks gestation when she was born. And although we don't have a definite reason, you very rarely get a definite answer as to why your baby died. She was slightly growth restricted, so that does indicate that there was probably some issues with my placenta. Um, but again, it's, it's just one of those things that unless we'd have had another growth scan or something between, it just wouldn't have been picked up. So those are our, our stories and a brief introduction to us. And before we sort of get into some of the facts and figures and things around baby loss, do you want to start a, to start by giving us a bit of an overview of the No Words campaign and why you decided to launch it? Absolutely, I'd love to. Um, I think for me, even in hospital, um, I found I suddenly started to research. And um, anyone who has experienced baby loss, uh, I hope they are they had the same treatment that I did, and that you were we were given a SANS folder from the charity um, SANS UK in the um, in the first. I would say half an hour or so after discovering what had happened. Yeah, um, we didn't get anything. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, so and and I think that in therein lies one of the reasons why I want to do this because it became it's increasingly apparent to me that there are so many inconsistencies in care and that's that's not okay. Um, and it's really important for me to talk about the fact that I think we have had exceptional care from our hospital right the way through, um, and therefore I know what it. I think I've benefited from when it goes right and it's not fair that other people don't get to experience that I mean none of this is fair right our babies have died none of this is is fair but I very quickly started to um I think it's quite a natural thing I sort of started to read the numbers and the statistics and whilst a lot of that stuff couldn't stick in my mind because there was so many things going on it became really apparent that this was far from a, a rare occurrence um, and sadly, I did know of, I had one very close friend who had had um, stillbirth and also a, a kind of sibling of um, some close friends who had also um, lost twins. So I knew it was a, I knew it was a thing. I, I knew stillbirth happened um, and there had been discussions about it. You know, uh, I was over 40. I was IVF. We were, we were a high risk pregnancy but I don't think we really understand what a high risk pregnancy is. Um, and and it became really apparent to me that there were a, a whole load of statistics and that we just don't talk about them. And uh, I've never experienced an early miscarriage, but I know lots of people that have. You know, I'm a, I'm a woman in my 40s and my friends have been having kids for 10 years. So lots of well, longer and um, lots of my friends have experienced early miscarriages. And when you start to look at all of these numbers, you start to realise that actually this is a huge thing and it's happening, but nobody knows about it and, and we're really silent. Um, and actually, 
very quickly I found a, a real solidarity in the shared power of shared experience and that's continued to grow over the last kind of 18 months or so um, and I just wanted to do something that encouraged the conversation got people talking about the fact that it's happened that it does happen so it's so shocking when it happens I genuinely believe that if you were a little bit more prepared for the fact if we talked about it a little bit more it could just ease some of that initial shock and pain um, and then when actually when we really unpick it and think about it there isn't a word for mothers like us there are there isn't a word in the English language for a parent without a child who outlives their child we understand widow we understand orphan we understand all the connotations of that but we don't have a word for us and I think that's because the conversation just doesn't happen we you know our language hasn't developed that way um, because it just isn't a, a common subject so the no words campaign is twofold it's one to get people aware of these statistics and understand it and two to really encourage people to talk to people who have lost a baby because it can be so isolating and so desperately lonely to be sitting in the pit of your grief and not having not feeling like anybody else can connect with with you and your story and again I'm very fortunate in that our family and friends have been incredibly supportive and uh, our work both of our workplaces have been fantastic um, but I know that isn't the case for everybody so if I can talk about my positive experiences to help somebody else's experience because sadly I'm not I'm not the last person I know that this is going to happen to, you know, and, and that's the same for all of our friends as well. Um, so if I can make other people's paths afterwards just that little bit easier by helping people understand what they can say, how to how to phrase it, how to approach them, then then in losing Ottilie, we're creating some good at the end of it. And I, I think that's really important for me. Mm. And I think I think perhaps that for a lot of people who know someone who are close to someone who experiences um pregnancy loss particularly perhaps particularly perhaps kind of later pregnancy loss or neonatal death so when the baby dies shortly after they're born perhaps part of the challenge you're talking about it is that they it may be the first time that someone close to them has has experienced this that they know of um and i think you know, I had a few, you know, I had friends who contacted me and got in touch after Sky died, who people who I, you know, I wasn't really close to, like old school friends, that type of thing, who had experienced stillbirth and I had no idea about it. Um, I think before, yeah, before losing Sky, I think I, I knew of one person who, you know, again, was a school friend who, you know, I wasn't particularly close to, who had had a full term stillbirth. Um, and I think a very distant sort of, I think my mum's cousin had perhaps had a stillborn child, but I had, you know, no other knowledge of that. And I think particularly when it comes to miscarriage, people often keep that to themselves. That's often not something they share publicly. So the reality is that actually probably everyone listening to this podcast or, you know, I guess if you're listening to this podcast, then you probably are listening because you know someone who's been through this. But, you know, pretty much everyone will know someone who has experienced some kind of pregnancy loss. So I think in the UK, sort of the, you know, one in four pregnancies ends in loss. And the majority of those are uh, miscarriages. So before 24 weeks. 
um, but one in 250, I think, births is a, yeah. is a stillbirth. Yeah. yeah, so kind of eight or nine babies every day in the UK, which when you think about it is, is a lot. It's a, huge, it's a huge number and it's such a shocking number mm-hmm. because we think of ourselves as being the UK. So, you know, we don't we don't feel like those are the sort of statistics that are suitable for a country that we live in that we you know we have the NHS but actually we're 24th out of 49 high income countries in terms of our our, stati- our the ranking like horrific ranking of countries um statistics for stillbirth and i find that really shocking that in a right here in our country exactly as you said you know eight babies every day are stillborn um and just to give some context to it i think um, there's a there's a statistic that SANS talk about that it's 75 percent of all children under 16 that die are stillborn or die in the first four weeks of their life. So, un- so 75 percent of deaths under 16 are are babies that are born that are stillborn, and that that's a huge number. And if you think about not that I'm kind of putting hierarchies against it, but if you think about the kind of charity fundraisers where we look at things like children in need and comic relief and we, you know, we talk about care for children who are sick, who obviously need that care, and I wouldn't detract from that in the slightest, but we just, that's that's 25% of the kids that are dying under 16. There's, a, there's 75% that we're just not talking about. Um, and I just I, I think it's really shocking and it and it it comes from I think it stems from a couple of places, but there's a sort of squeamishness about grief full stop, which I think if we kind of look back historically, it's probably centered somewhere, starts somewhere around Victorian times where grief was this kind of huge mourning period and and then we've got two world wars where actually just death became so much a part of everyday life and every family's story that you didn't really have time to think about it or dwell on it or or concentrate on it and and I'm sure sadly I can't speak to my grandmothers about it because um both of them had passed away before Ottilie was born but I know for a fact there are a huge number of babies that died in my family and I think it was just so normal that we didn't we just sort of gloss over it and, and move on and 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 that's not okay anymore. We can't continue to do that. And, and that's why conversations like this and, and why I'm really passionate about talking to people exactly as you said, who haven't experienced it because sadly you might or you somebody you know will and we need to be better at supporting that in, in just everyday conversation because that way awareness comes, That the more awareness is the more research, the more research, the less it happens. And it's a it's a massive cycle that we just need to push forward on. Yeah, I completely agree. And I do, I do think some of it, I, th- I do think some of it comes from this kind of age old taboo around, you know, particularly stillbirth and not discussing pregnancy loss um, at all. And, you know, it wasn't it wasn't even that long ago, you know, talking a few decades ago that you know women didn't always get the option to see their babies after they were born um you know there was certainly none of the the kind of memory making and the support that hospitals offer today and you know my grandmother lost her first child who was also her only daughter um she died at three days old and that was literally all that is literally all we know about her 
we, you know, she never, never spoke about her at all. Um, and I didn't get to have that conversation because she passed away just a few weeks after after Sky died. So, you know, it's it's really hard, isn't it? And I think I find it really hard to think of those women who went through that and perhaps didn't have anyone to confide in, any kind of support, but who have carried, you know, that grief through your lives because you do and you you know, absolutely. it's absolutely and, and in such numbers. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I, in such numbers, I, I know my paternal great grandmother. Um, I had there was my grandmother, and then she had two brothers and a sister. So there was four of them living. And um, my grandmother was the youngest, and and along the way, she did a little bit of kind of family tree and discovered I think there were five or six other babies, um, who had all died somewhere um between birth and being three years old and Mm. to think of my grandmother my great-grandmother who must have been mourning those children her whole life whether she was allowed she wouldn't have been allowed to talk about it it just would have moved on and and actually one of the things that's really spurred me on with this campaign is um is a story that came as as a result of of Ottilie. So um, my my dad's neighbour, a lady in her 70s, um, knew that I was pregnant, and I don't actually know her, but um, she knew I was pregnant, she knew my dad was about to become a grandfather, and and he explained to her what had happened, and a few weeks later she, she called him and explained that actually some point in the early 70s she had had a similar experience she'd given birth the baby had um had been taken away she didn't know anything about it she was left in the room on her own she wasn't told what was happening um eventually somebody came back and said that the baby had died um and I think she somewhere along the line somebody told her it was a boy but she she didn't know anything else and she was just sent home and people crossed the road rather than talk to her people just didn't talk about it at all um she went on to have two children who were now um adults and she'd never told them about their older brother but actually through um our experience with Ottilie she opened up and she went to Sands and her and her now ex-husband but the baby's dad went to um, the hospital where they were having a um one of the sort of Sands bereavement services and they honored their baby and and she felt much more at peace with it. And if actually by talking about Ottilie has given a lady who has been grieving a dead son for kind of 45, 50 years some solace, then already we've made, you know, some great progress. Mm-hmm. And if we can just make people, because sadly this is going to happen to so many more people, if we can make their paths less painful than than that lady's story, then that, that has to be a, a positive outcome. And I, and, you know, I think it's really, and I think also that opening up the conversation around baby loss and and talking about it as a more normal thing can perhaps allow, you know, some of these, you know, women and men, mothers and fathers who experience these, you know, these losses a longer time ago when it wasn't the dumb thing or whatever to talk about it, they weren't able to talk about it. It gives them the opportunity perhaps now to to take part in that conversation because you know it doesn't it doesn't matter whether you're you're 
you lost your baby this year or last year or 10 years ago or 50 years ago, they're still your child. Um, and you can, you know, you can still talk about them. However, you you want to talk about their brief lives and and what you remember of them. Um, and I think this really also links into my kind of next talking point, which is around this kind of grief roller coaster. Because I think Oh, I think this is one of the really difficult things about losing a baby that you don't really get unless you've experienced it or you know someone really well who's experienced it, which is it's not like the death of an adult or, you know, like a father or, a, you know, a grandparent when, you know, you celebrate their life and you're really sad because they died and you might, you know, that grief might last a long time and you, you might, you know, you might still be sad, but you do in a sense move on from that and get on your life get on with your life because that is the natural order of things you know people parents die before their children but when you lose a baby you're not just losing that child you're losing that whole lifetime of memories you know the time they would have gone to school the time they would have gone to high school the you know the, when they would have done their driving lessons or whatever so you're you don't have that life to celebrate you have that life to grieve um and I think that can be really hard to understand and I think what that means is that you certainly in those kind of early days your kind of support can almost feel overwhelming I mean I got so many messages I was just like exhausted trying to respond to them all and that was great and it was fantastic to have that support but then people expect you to kind of get on with it and move on with life. And as we know, kind of grief doesn't last like that. And, you know, for some people, there are, you know, that that grief can actually hit a lot later. And I know for me personally, I found around the three and four month mark, I think after we lost Sky was my real, when I was really struggling. And by that time, it's not that people have forgotten um, but they're not checking in with you as often necessarily. Um, and, you know, they've obviously got on with their lives and are doing other things. And, you know, you know, everyone has their own lives and, and are busy people. But I think there's often that perhaps that disparity between when you get the support or maybe when you when you actually really need the support. So I don't know what your experience was like, Katie. Uh, I think you're exactly right. There, there is nothing linear about the grief for a baby um and I think that initially starts to show itself um I don't know uh, kind of what what you did in terms of uh, a kind of memorial service or, or how you how you planned that out but I found that incredibly difficult um because a funeral as you say you tends to be a celebration of a life and you talk about the funny things they've done and you play their favorite song and you have flowers in their favorite color and then you will have a wake and you talk about you know the hilarious time that this happened or that happened and all of a sudden you're grieving a life where you don't even know the color of their eyes let alone what their favorite color was um because they haven't had a chance to to do those things and and sometimes those thoughts can take you absolutely by surprise where you might something will just trigger a, a memory and so you might be in a shop and 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 a name can do that I was uh, especially I mean Ottilie is not a particularly common name but about I guess maybe seven eight months 
maybe about six months actually after um after Ottilie was born I was in a shop and there was a lady and um Oh, maybe it was Tilly, actually, because we we call her Tilly. But I heard a grandmother talking to a little girl about makeup. They, we were I was in a makeup shop with my mum, and she was saying, "No, Tilly, put it down." And I just it just jumped into my head because no child of mine was going to have been a child that wouldn't have been told to put things down. And it just jumped into my mind, and I was like, I, "I'm even grieving the idea that I would have had to tell my child off." You know, I'm I'm missing the fact that I. I would you know there would have been discipline and of course there would have been an immense amount of love and laughter but also all of those kind of things that parents find such a struggle I, I I'm grieving the loss of those things too and um, and actually my my family and friends have been great with it and I everybody kind of does check in with us at regular times and around um around Ottilie's first birthday people were fantastic um they've been fantastic right the way through um but just kind of checking in around mother's day as well you know all of those kind of difficult times people do just check in but I'm also really conscious that that will come to an end I'm I'm very fortunate that I've got a really close group of friends who actually there were four of us that were pregnant at the same time um so those those babies would have been Ottilie's friends they would have been a little gang all of them and 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 I absolutely love that amongst that group of friends they talk about her so all of those kids know that there's another baby called Ottilie and they don't know who she is and they're too young to understand it but they include her in bedtime stories and at her birthday a couple of them made birthday cakes and they blew out a candle for Ottilie and another friend said they took um she took her two little girls for a walk and they sat and they talked about special people in the sky. And, you know, all of these things just mean the absolute world to me because Ottilie is a massive part of my life and will always be. And the fact that our friends and family are able to to do that with us is it's, it's just incredible. And I think if people are thinking about ways they can they can help somebody in a similar situation just including including a lost baby um I also find the language around lost babies in I it's not like I put her down in a car park and forgot yeah. to take her home you know I find that really <laughs> difficult um yeah but you know, I, that inclusion is so important and I think I think maybe this is where part of it in fact actually before I go on to that I just I do want to just mention one thing which is that Obviously, you know, both you and I have had sort of slightly later term losses and, you know, haven't experienced miscarriage. You have obviously experienced infertility. And I think there is a whole there's a whole grief around miscarriage and infertility that is also, you know, that is also present. And I think is something that people need to be aware of. And I think it's so easy to be sort of blasé in a society. And one of the things really, really gets on my nerves is when, you know, people make comments about oh if you started trying for a baby yet when you're going to have a family you're getting a bit old blah 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 all those kind of comments which 
you know, which is annoying if you've decided you don't want to have children, which is, you know, particularly, you know, is your your right and decision and because it implies that you should. But if you are going through, you know, struggles with fertility or you've recently had a miscarriage, you, you know, which you maybe haven't shared because it's a private thing, then that can really, you know, strike a, a knife into the heart, I think. Um, just such a a kind of flippant off the cuff comment which can can really hurt so that was something that I really wanted to make people I mean I'm sure again everyone aware who's listening to this is probably aware of this but um yeah I think it's just the case that you don't know what someone has been through and that's why I've learned like you can look at someone and you you know I think you don't know what their experience has been so it's better to err on the side of caution rather than you know assuming things you don't know yeah I think not letting social convention overrule the sensitivities is really important and it's it I genuinely believe people don't mean to upset other people I I, there, there are a few people in the world who are just nasty but the majority of people are absolutely not but sometimes exactly as you say the social convention and the small talk of oh have you got kids and all of that stuff and it's not not everybody wants it but not everybody can have it and I think the the more we talk about loss and infertility and all of these things the more we become cognizant of everybody's different situation and exactly as you say you just don't know what's going on in somebody else's world Um, and I had a really interesting conversation with um, the lady who I had acupuncture with when I was going through IVF when I had Ottilie so naturally she sees lots of people day in day out and she said I never she's actually also had her her own infertility um problems she said I never ask people whether they've got children because if they have you'll probably find out in the first five minutes of talking to someone and if they haven't then it's up to them to tell you whether they want to talk about it or not and I just thought if everybody thought like that yeah. there'd be far less painful conversations or awkward conversations and and all of that um yeah all of that stuff I thought it was a really interesting rule to live by mm. so let's come on to talk about uh some of the some of the things that it's good to say or is might be helpful to say and and some of the things that that it's really can be quite hurtful to say. I actually put a post on Instagram about this the other day asking people and got quite an unexpectedly massive response. So it it's something that is really close to, to people's hearts if they've lost a baby. Um, and, you know, I, th- I mean, I think we have to recognise, you know, no one's perfect and we all put off foot in it occasionally, don't we? I mean, that's part of being human. Um, and if you do do that, then, you know, you can apologise. <laughs> you don't have to just ignore it and pretend it didn't happen. If you said something and you think it was offensive, you can, you know, you can go back to that person and apologise. Um, and equally, I think it's important to emphasise that everyone and every loss is individual. So there isn't one right thing to say and it is hard you know trying to figure out what to say and sort of putting those feelers out to work out how someone wants to talk about their baby because what some people one person wants to talk about another person you know it might be completely triggering for so you know we're not saying this is easy but nothing is as hard as giving birth to a dead baby or losing your child shortly after birth so 
tough deal with it. <laughs> there, is a, there is an element of that. And and to be fair, that is something I've said to a lot of people. I promise you, you can't upset me more because my baby died. So you're going to have to really work to really upset me more. You can be thoughtless or or clumsy, um, but that's not going to hurt more than what already has happened. Um, I think there's a really natural human reaction to try and want to fix things, try and make someone feel better. And you can't, you can't make someone feel better when their baby's died. You, nothing you can say can give them a reason, can help them understand, can give them some sort of rational framework to think about. So don't try, just let them know that you're there if they need you. And I had lots of texts and I don't know where it came from. I don't know whether maybe there is, I've never seen it, but lots of people sent me text messages and said, no need to reply, but just to let you know, I'm thinking of you. And, and the immediate sort of release of pressure of that was, was fantastic because I did actually reply to all of them, but I didn't feel the need to do it right away. And I thought that was a really lovely thing. Um, so don't expect a response and don't try and fix so you know and as so many of us in both the lost and infertility communities please don't start on a sentence with at least or have you tried oh, we'll get on to that <laughs> <laughs> okay we'll, we'll um, do the positives okay first. let's say yeah, yeah 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 we'll do the positives um, first. you know um, i think it's really important that it, you feel very isolated in the experience of baby loss and i and i think I think that goes whether you lose a baby within a few days of having a positive pregnancy test or whether that's full term, because from the moment you know you're pregnant, for a lot of people, that becomes a nurturing and loving experience from right from the off. Um, and I appreciate not every situation is the same, but, you know, it, it doesn't matter where you lose across that scale. Lots of people say to me, oh, I had an early miscarriage, but it's not as bad as what happened to you. And and I understand why people feel that. And I, I don't feel quite the same. I mean, yes, you know, I, I carried her for full to full term. She looked like a baby that was just asleep, you know, lots of all of those things. But if your baby died, your baby died. And and I think we owe each other the same amount of respect, whether that baby dies at kind of four weeks or 39 weeks. I, I think that's really important um, because you're, you're grieving just the same. And I think, you know, letting people, asking people questions is not a bad thing. Um, you know, I, I want to show people pictures of Ottilie. I, I don't have loads and I don't show them off to everybody. Um, but I also appreciate that, that that might be quite a scary thing because do I want to see a picture of a dead baby? I'm not sure that I do. Well, uh, well, that's kind of how I felt when I gave birth to her. You know, I, I didn't know what she was going to look like. I was scared of what she might look like. And, and you know, here we are. You, you find a way of dealing with it. So, you know, you can be inquisitive. You can ask questions that some of them I can't answer and some of them I'd love to talk to you about. So um, I think it's really important. Yeah, I think it's definitely, um, it's, it's acknowledging that you've still gone through the same thing 
as other mothers have. And I found, like, I saw this quote the other day, which was said that when a child is born, people celebrate. When a child dies, people pretend nothing has happened. And that is really hard because actually, you know, a lot of a lot of parents do want to talk about their child and sure they've died, but they still want to talk about them. Um, and, you know, you still might. So, for example, one of the things which I found was that actually, although I didn't have a baby and I hadn't brought my baby home, I felt, well, I've still been through pregnancy and giving birth. And actually, that is one of the few ways which I can connect with my friends who have children. And again, I'm kind of sort of oh, late 30s now, sob, although I don't want to, I don't want to admit it. Um, so, you know, a lot of my friends have, have had children. And certainly one of the hardest things I found after Sky died was feeling like I had been booted out of that mum club, not because of, you know, just because of the, by virtue of the fact that I did not have a child in my arms, you know, Um and I actually really wanted to talk about my birth experience and what had happened and, you know, that it was painful and whatever. I was actually, one of the things I really struggle with, it was how Sky looked and we don't really have any photos of her, though I would have loved to have had a photo of us as a family. Um, but we we didn't get the opportunity or, you know, didn't didn't think to do that. But I think a lot of people, you know, if you ask them about their baby you know ask if they want to show you any photos perhaps ask what they look like was there a family resemblance there with you know did they take after mom or dad how much did they weigh that's something that you know every time you know if it's part of that birth announcement isn't it which is another thing you don't get you you have this big now you have a living baby you have this big announcement and it's like introducing so and so weighed x amount of pounds you know and and that's what you miss out on. And actually, I think one of the ways that perhaps friends and family can support is by giving us part of that experience that new parents get. And by doing so, kind of recognising that we are still parents. Um, and I think obviously the biggest thing is asking their name and, you know, talking about them. Um, yeah, so I think, I mean, I think that is... And that was definitely something that kind of came out quite strongly in terms of what other people have said to me. And just if you don't know, you know, if you're feeling scared about asking these questions or a bit awkward and you're not sure how to approach this, just ask, would would you like to talk about him or her? I think that that's it, isn't it? Because actually some days I might not want to and other days mm. I might. And, and acknowledging exactly as we said earlier, you know, grief is not linear um but you might find yourself in a situation where you know, yeah exactly that you might really want to talk about it you know if somebody else in your group of friends falls pregnant would you know do you want to tell me about your pregnancy and I'm exactly the same you know I loved being pregnant it was one of the happiest things in my whole life and I'd fought really hard to get there so I loved every moment of it and and I, you know, I, I carried my little girl for for nine months and and that was a fantastic experience. It didn't end the way anyone would want it to. But I still have some lovely memories of her wriggling and moving and, you know, and all of those same things that that every other mum said has. And, and exactly as you said, you know, acknowledging 
the fact that we're, we, we're just we're postnatal in exactly the same way you know our bodies need the same care our hearts are infinitely more broken and there's a really strange sort of flip I think um you sort of know there are, there's so many similarities because you you know when you have a new baby you're going to lose a lot of sleep and and we became terrified of the fact that we weren't going to sleep because what were we going to do all night if we were just awake and actually as it worked out we were both so emotionally exhausted at the end of every day that we did sleep and I know not everybody has that but we were just utterly drained by everything um so we did we did sleep um but there are lots of similarities that you go through in the first few months afterwards that you would with a with a baby you know you've got lots of similar worries and 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 you know putting your body back together as a as a mum who's lost the baby is really tough because you know my body had to go through all the same healing that everybody else's does after after a c-section but you know I didn't I didn't have the mother and baby clinics to go to you know I didn't have other mums that I could talk to about it and and so sharing your experiences you know if you do have children don't be afraid to talk about your experience with somebody that's lost a baby because they need that help and support in just the same way and and yeah couch it first you know do you want to talk about it how are you feeling after your cesarean you know or you know how how are you feeling after your you know how have your stitches healed or you know there could be lots of similarities um and ask ask the same questions because it's you know our bodies have done exactly the same thing but our hearts are infinitely more broken afterwards yeah yeah that's that's a really good point and I think you know often mothers might be on a period of maternity leave as well which you know when you don't have a baby there to look after can be can be really hard and you know I remember sobbing to my husband on one day that I just wanted something to love you know oh how we don't have a dog I don't know we got a cat yeah yeah a few months later we ended up getting our fluffy cat which was a bit of a coincidence how we ended up with him but he has definitely made our lives uh, infinitely brighter um and yeah and a lot of you know a lot of people do that and that is not but that is not replacing the baby you've lost you know I think there is just this whole um gulf really it's about needing to be needed I, mm. I think that's what it is you're you I went through a whole pregnancy you know for the last 10 years I've been waiting for my life to change to for someone to need me all the time um and and I was nearly there you know I was at this point where I was about to you know I I was going to have to leave work to get home for to pick the baby up I was going to have to not make plans at the weekend because you know we were doing x or y or you know I was ready for that transition and it didn't happen. And that's a really difficult thing to get your head around because you, you're expecting that somebody is going to to need you and you're gonna, your life is going to change entirely. And it does, but you don't have the same restrictions on your time that you were expecting or your, you know, your, your freedom, I guess. Um, as, but depending that doesn't on mean, your first yeah, day. That yeah. doesn't mean as well that you're... I don't know, it's hard because I did have at the back of my mind, I was like, well, I'm going to be really productive during this time and I'm going to do all these things. And I didn't do anything. I mean, I, yeah, like it does really, you know, even months later, 
you know, it really, you know, you can have days where you haven't done anything. And that in itself is hugely frustrating if you're someone like me who has to keep achieving stuff. <laughs> um, and that that whole sort of mental health piece afterwards is is also really important. But I think, and, and again, I just, just spiraling back to kind of what you said at the beginning, I think so much of about so much of it is about acknowledging the baby, you know, your friend or your daughters or sons or whoever's child. And I think one of the biggest things you can do, particularly as a kind of close family member, is to to remember that. And as you say, on particularly on occasions, Christmas, Mother's Day, etc. I mean, I you know, I didn't really get I had a few friends acknowledge Mother's Day to me. Um at Christmas I found it really hard that my family didn't talk about Sky at all or mention her or anything. So I think things like that can can be really hard. I know someone who commented on my Instagram post said that one of the things she loved was she was, I think she was in a restaurant with maybe her dad and uh, they were chatting to the waiter and the waiter asked him how many grandkids he had. And immediately, without skipping a beat, he said, I can't remember what the number was, say six or something, which included their baby who had died. And because it was so automatic, it wasn't that he hesitated and was like, do I include him or not include him? But it was so automatic that they knew that, you know, in his heart, they were still his grandchild, you know, even though they weren't, you know, their living, they were still part of that. So I think, you know, and I think really that that kind of thing is hugely, hugely heartwarming. I think the other thing I had, one of my friends on Sky's birthday, her so her daughter painted a rainbow and said what a pretty name Sky was. And then she took a little video of them as like a family. They were singing happy birthday to her. And that was really lovely um, and really special. So yeah, I think there are, you know, there is a lot you can do to to support parents, whatever, you know, whatever their kind of views and whatever their experience of pregnancy loss. And I think taking the lead from the parents is really important. So so for us at Christmas, we just could we couldn't face it. We couldn't do a family Christmas because there were just too many things that would have been hurtful. So we actually took ourselves away and and kind of ignored the fact that Christmas was happening, which I know some of our family found difficult because they wanted to wrap us up in cotton wool and look after us. And actually, we that wasn't what we needed at that time. We just needed to pretend it wasn't happening. But taking your lead from the parents, you'll, you'll know, you know, if they want to throw a first birthday party for their dead baby, let them do it. That's OK. If that's, you know, you might find it difficult and you might think, well, that isn't what I would do, but you don't know because it hasn't happened to you. So don't judge mm-hmm. other people, you know, let them do it. Personally, well, actually, Ottilie's first birthday fell in lockdown, so it wasn't something that we we could have done, but it wasn't for me. You know, I don't think I would have baked a cake or done the balloons. And I know a lot of people find a lot of comfort in that, and that's okay. But just take your lead from the parents because they're telling you. They're almost certainly telling you what it is that they want in the way that they're handling themselves, and you, you can take a really good lead from them and if they're not and they're breaking right back to it you know ask them talk to them yeah and I think that's I think it's also as you sort of say it's important not to impose your views on someone else and I think a couple of 
Circumstances where this can come across is by, for example, referring to babies as angel babies or, you know, saying things like, oh, well, you know, it was God's plan or something. And, you know, whether or not that person is religious, you know, that is your view of what their baby is kind of imposed on them. It's not, you know, you need to take their view. And a lot of parents do refer to their children as as angels. Um and that brings them a lot of comfort. Um, and I guess it's like you were saying about the term using the term loss as well. So I lost my baby. Well, yeah, you didn't you know, just accidentally leave them behind somewhere. Some people find that really difficult. Some people want to be quite straightforward and say, my baby died and be and be quite open about that. Other people find that difficult. So I think it's really, it's working out how, you know, the person you're trying to support wants to refer to their baby and you can tell that by talking to them and how they refer to to them you know and and again asking them the question you know yeah it's, it could might be as simple as lots of people talk about angel babies how does that make you feel well if you ask me that I'm not that comfortable with it because it does have those religious religious connotations and I kind of feel like I'm done. I, I wasn't particularly religious before, but I can't see any sense in my baby being taken away. Um, so I've, I, that doesn't work for me. But I understand that if you have faith and you want to, you know, you hold on to that and you find solace in it, then that's fine. And I, it it really is about asking the questions and, and finding what works for people. Mm-hmm. So you said you had um, you had sort of very supportive friends and family, but if we come on to sort of things not to say or do, what was the worst thing that someone said to you after Ottilie died? I have been quite lucky because, I mean, as if any of us are lucky, um, but I, I've been fortunate in that, that I haven't had too many kind of clangor situations. Um, I did go and see a GP um, earlier this year because... Um, we we had a remaining embryo and um through the IVF process and we went back to the clinic and and had that transferred and it didn't work and it um it just it just unraveled a whole load of grief because that was an embryo that was um conceived at the same time as Ottilie so it felt really linked to her um it brought back a whole load of grief for her um and it really knocked me for six and I I went to the doctor and I saw a female doctor who was a similar sort of age to me I would say maybe a little bit older um and I talked her through everything um she said something like losing a baby at any stage is hard but when it's full term that's really difficult and I was like you just referred to my daughter as it which I didn't find particularly nice um and then a little bit later she said we'd normally expect an acute response to grief for last for six months so this has been going on a bit <laughs> I just thought oh my goodness I'm I'm sorry, well. like, <laughs> I was like I've just I've just explained to you the, all of the triggers behind the situation and you're telling me my acute response to grief has probably been bang uh, you know it, it was almost like she was telling me to stop banging on about it I did have a doctor fairly recently refer to Sky as the incident that happened last year, wow. which I was fuming about. Yeah. <laughs> and I think he could probably tell I was fuming. <laughs> I think there is something there is something about medical talk which I I understand people can find really difficult, but for me there was 
there is a sort of separation and, and lots of people will have heard the term early fetal demise, which is, it's really hard to hear. But actually when you're in the post-mortem of your dead baby and they are separate, it almost allowed me to separate from the emotion. Um, and so when you're hearing the findings of the post-mortem, which incidentally were zero, um, but uh, good news, I don't have syphilis. That came out of the post-mortem, you know, really helpful Woo-hoo. stuff like that. <laughs> um, but, you know... It does, that medical terminology does give you some sort of separation in those really formal settings. There are other times where it it is really unhelpful. And yeah, I think that's really difficult to talk about the incident that happened. That's, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I do think a lot of the time, as you sort of mentioned before, people don't mean to be hurtful. And I'm sure, you know, if you are listening to this, then the fact that you're listening to this indicates that you, you know, you want to be helpful and supportive. But I think people sometimes don't realise how triggering certain phrases or meaningless comments can be. And I think, you know, some of the top ones which come out, which, gosh, so many people have experienced and I have generally been quite lucky, I have to say, but I know a lot of people who've experienced things, things like it wasn't meant to be, perhaps it was for the best. And I did have a a version of that of, you know, particularly, I guess, if, so Sky was born at six months. So the kind of, oh, well, if she had been born alive, she would have, you know, she would have probably suffered, you know, suffered disabilities or whatever. You wouldn't want to, wouldn't have wanted a child like that. And that is, that's really hard mm. to to kind of hear. I think the other the other big ones that fill me with anger <laughs> are don't worry, you're still young, you'll have another baby soon, or at least you know you can get pregnant because there's just so much loaded in those statements. I mean, not just the fact and the the, the big, big fact that, you know, even if you do want to go on and have another child, that is not replacing the baby you've lost you know that is a different child a different experience you know it's not going to suddenly pull you out of your grief or stop you grieving for that child but there's also the assumption in there like I touched on before that you can just go on and have another child and you know I'll be honest I didn't really know much about secondary infertility before I got involved in the baby loss community but it is a thing there are many many couples who have a child or have a child who dies and then struggle to get pregnant again so you know just that there's so many things in those loaded statements that I can't (laughs) even begin and I know um, I've been guilty of it I I know in Mm. the depths of my infertility where I all I wanted to be was pregnant and someone else had had a miscarriage which wasn't something I'd experienced I I can hear myself and I can see the setting and it, I wasn't talking to the person who'd lost the baby, but mm-hmm. I, I remember saying, well, at least she can get pregnant or at least she knows she can get pregnant. And in retrospect, who cares? It doesn't matter that you can get pregnant if your baby died. Like that doesn't matter. So I, I understand how people get there, but. And I do think it is, you know, I think there is a very natural thought process there. Yeah. Um, yeah but it does. I mean, and I think, you know, the another sort of thing linked to that is telling you immediately, saying, oh, your situation's terrible, but I know someone who had this experience. I think it's really interesting, and I think it's something we do with grief quite a bit, and kind of looping back to, to what I was just saying about um, people saying, oh, I had a miscarriage, but it's not as bad as what happened to you. To a certain extent, we try and make ourselves feel better by seeing someone else's situation as being worse. 
or better you know you sort of try and find well my situation is this but it's not as bad as yours so I feel better about my own situation because of that I think the other one I want to to mention is particularly when someone has a twin or has twins and they lose one of those twins one of those twins dies um that whole at least you have one and I think you know if you're trying to support someone who has lost twins and please do go back to, I can't remember what the episode numbers are, but I have done a couple of interviews with parents who have lost a twin and it is a very unique type of grief and certainly not one that that goes away because you have one living child. If anything, that child is a reminder of everything you have lost every day of your life. And it, it is that thing of not trying to make don't try and make someone feel better by finding a positive in the story. Let's just accept there isn't one. If you're, if you have been expecting twins and you only get to take one of those babies home, that is devastating for everybody. So let's not try and make it feel, make those parents feel better by saying, well, at least you've got one of them. I mean, that's just think about what you're saying, you know, just take Mm -hmm. a step back from it. And, and it is a, it's a basic human and, sociological reaction I think to let's 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 fix this let's fix this problem let's find a positive and move on move on move on and actually no let's not let's validate this grief let's accept that this is hurtful and painful and that you can't make it better and nor can they and let's sit with that for a little while and work out how we move forward together and that's much more constructive yeah and actually because I ended up feeling quite guilty that I wasn't getting back to the normal that you know loved ones people wanted me to to be at fast enough so actually by you can almost put more pressure on someone to um I don't know because again I mean I I sort of struggled with depression and stuff afterwards and you know everyone has a different path to that um and I think there's also some things which bizarrely can be a compliment but actually can also quite hurt so you know if you say oh you're so strong or be strong it's like well you see one side of me and actually the other side is I'm completely breaking apart so you know why do I have to be strong at this point in time you know I I find that a really interesting one but you you know you're so strong okay so what what options do I really have have? (laughs) Um, because I I've just got to keep going like you know and for the first few months that was really tough and people brought us food and you know we were nourished and that really helped because it gave us a bit of structure and you know we were able to think about go through the motions of normal life without having to think about it which was fantastic but I don't really understand what I guess there is a strength and and maybe for both you and I who have found a a kind of vocational focus Mm -hmm. out of our experience it, it demonstrate some kind of strength to take ourselves out of it but you shouldn't feel pressure to do that you know getting up getting out of bed and and seeing it through to the end of the day is all the strength you need and and everybody just needs to kind of accept that I I don't there isn't much other choice is there um no (laughs) no um and I think again we sort of touched on but there there are other things in terms of what you don't do perhaps or what you don't say so you know I think silence is the worst there's obviously the cliche let me know if there's anything I can do or 
give me a call when you want to talk. Well, you know, actually, you're not going to pick up that phone. So you kind of need someone to to call you. Um, and then I think there's also more kind of subtler things, which are perhaps, I mean, some of them might perhaps occur in the first few weeks, but also more longer term. So things such as being considerate about pregnancy announcements, particularly, you know, if you're close to the person rather than them seeing this great big announcement on Facebook or whatever, you know, talk to them about it first. But I think there's also something about not excluding people from baby related things or not deliberately doing that. So, you know, you may feel that, oh, you've got your baby shower you know, a month or two months after your friend's baby died, well, I won't invite them because, you know, they won't want to come. um, And I don't want to hurt them by inviting them. But actually, it's really hurtful to be excluded from that kind of thing. So, you know, give them the option and recognize that a particular occasion might be really difficult for them, and they might not want to come, but they're very welcome, you know, to do that and come along. And I think the other thing for me is, particularly again in those first few months, being conscious if you have living children about how much you are perhaps complaining about them. It sounds really awful, isn't it? Because I do appreciate that parenting is extremely difficult and you do need to vent and rant at your friends occasionally. But, you know, I, again, I remember having, I was in one uh, I think it was like a Facebook messenger group. There were quite a lot of people in there, quite a lot of women who pretty much all had children, I think. Um, and, you know, there was there was this whole kind of conversation about how it, difficult it is to be a mother and, you know, all the late nights and waking up and, and all those different things. And I was that, you know, that was a bad day. And I was literally on the sofa kind of holding my daughter's box of ashes reading these messages and that is you know incredibly hard to hear and that's not to say don't ever complain but just be conscious I think about what you're doing and saying you know to someone who has suffered a loss and and that can still hurt you know year or even years later sometimes I think a constructive conversation about the difficulties of parenting is more than expected you know I I get that and I understand that and I long for the day mm-hmm. that maybe that might be my problem too you know and yeah and I I love I love my friends kids and I love being around them but you know I, I don't have to deal with all of the tantrums and the squabbles and I, but I have found it really difficult around especially in in lockdown the sort of intense complaining about homeschooling and and it's not so much because the, the problems of everyday life it's the it's when people talk about wishing for not for time away from their kids yeah and that's the thing I find really difficult because I understand everybody needs a break and I I I understand that um you know especially during lockdown it's been intense and draining for everybody and it you know it has been really hard but what a lovely problem to have <laughs> a little mm-hmm. bit but I, I find it difficult when people are like oh my god I just never get I never get rid of them or you know I never get any time to myself or I never and I understand that your identity changes as a parent and I understand all of those things but I'm never going to get to spend any time with my daughter Um the only time I ever got to spend with her was when she was either alive 
in my tummy or when she was in a cuddle cot on the bed for a couple of days after after she was born and and that that you know I just find that really difficult don't, don't please try not to say how much you long to be apart from your children that's that's the thing yeah or or a kind of like oh well at least you can you know at least you've got the time to do this or the time to oh, do God, that if anyone and, said that I'd be really upset. you know um. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, one of the things I'm conscious of here is that we're talking about all of these things and and I it's not the I, I don't want people to feel like you can't have any of these conversations because you absolutely can it's just it's just having in the back of your mind and and sometimes that's going to come out and you're going to go oh god thank god I haven't got the kids tonight and then if you look at me and and just acknowledge it and go that probably sounded awful but this is the day I've had then that becomes a dialogue and it becomes you know we're we can talk that stuff through and I'm really happy to talk to you about teething and nappy rash and you know all of those things yeah because I really want that for myself as well and I might you know you know I, I want to have those conversations um but yeah that craving time away I really struggle with yeah I totally yeah I totally get that and certainly you know when you have friends who have children then that is a natural topic of conversation yeah, of you course. know and I certainly would not want any of my friends to stop talking to me because they're scared of talking about their children no, please don't be scared but just be but I think it's just that recognition yeah. that that can be quite um can sometimes be quite intense and triggering yeah. um but yeah but they could always ask you know well how are you feeling about sky this week or you know how are you feeling about us this week yeah yeah so we are well we have run over but we we're having such a good discussion that I didn't want to stop it um but we should probably wrap up so do you want to tell people about how they can support the no words campaign and you know help you spread the word about that so yeah the main um thing that I'm doing is I have created some t-shirts with uh the no words logo that um you'll be able to see from hopefully by the time this goes out um you, I will have launched that on Instagram um uh, my so my Instagram handle is without Ottilie um, and you'll be able to find details there but also my website is um, without Ottilie.com where you can go and you can buy a t-shirt um, where you and the idea is that people wear their t-shirts maybe take a selfie post it on um, social media uh, with the hashtag no words and hopefully tagging uh, my without Ottilie account as well and just get that conversation going. And I really hope by wearing the t-shirts, sharing them on feeds that are outside of the baby loss community, we can get some of the conversation going. Um, and and hopefully by wearing the t-shirt out in public, somebody might say, you know, what's that t-shirt you're wearing? And it can generate a bit of conversation as well. Um, I've also got various other bits and pieces of social media coming up as well. So liking, sharing, um, and supporting all of all of those posts would be fantastic um but the t-shirts will be raising money for charity as well and in the first instance that's going um to sans who is a charity i've i've massively benefited from and also um jake's charity which is a charity that focuses on making sure that um people have the right education about um maternal health care as well um and that's a charity i'm a patron of as well so um two very important charities Fantastic. And I think, you know, if you're listening to this and you're one of our regular listeners and, you know, you've experienced your own loss, then this is perhaps, I hope, one episode which you might want to share more wider 
to just yeah to to with your friends and family or you know your contacts on social media in terms of both perhaps how they can help support you but also how they can support you know other people they may come across in the future thank you so much for joining me katie and talking to you about this it's been fantastic thank talking you. to you thank you so much um we were talking about other people talking about their children and um People talk about their kids all the time. Unfortunately, this is the only context I have to talk about Otterly in. So I'm really happy to have a platform to do it on. So thank you for, for inviting me on. You're very welcome. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Footprints on Our Hearts. Please help me break the silence around baby loss by sharing the podcast with your friends and leaving a review on iTunes. You can follow me on Instagram at Footprints on Our Hearts and Twitter at Sky's Footprints. For detailed show notes and to support the podcast and help me raise money for Tommies, please visit our website, footprintsonourhearts.com.